start. This week's theme is plagiarism. So, spoiler alert, as we start, this week's theme is plagiarism. Thanks for repeating the thing I just said back at me. Uh, <laughs> I plagiarized it. That's not written. Mocking it. Repeatedly mocking is... Oh, well, no, no, no. I wasn't mocking you. I was telling the listeners something that I had thought of. Gotcha. Uh, hey. Speaking of that, have you heard that Weezer plagiarized the band Toto? They released a song called Africa, and it's like beat for beat the same song that Toto released, also called Africa. That can't be legal. No, but then, you know what's crazy? Toto released a song called Hashpipe, and Tom, I swear to you, yeah. it is beat for beat the same song as an old Weezer song called Hashpipe. Wow. Really, this sounds like a fight for the ages. I, But it seems like they're both totally okay with it, when really there has to be blood sport going on. Steve Luthacock his last name is insane. The last name of the lead singer, the lead guitarist of Africa is, is nuts. Yeah. Uh, he's probably arm wrestling Rivers Cuomo right now over who can control the six string god. Well, I, I got spoiler alerts. I don't think Rivers is going to win that one. He's got real scrawny arms. That's what In the Garage was all about. <sighs> That's The whole Blue Album could also be called My Arms Are my So thin, Very Weak. My Thin Weak Arms by Rivers Cuomo. The real original title of the band Weezer was My Name's Rivers Cuomo. These are my friends, and my arms are brittle like sandpaper. I'm Rivers, and if I had my druthers, I'd have thick guns. Uh, Rivers Cuomo has glass appendages. <laughs> Don't at me. This is Media Majors. It's <laughs> yeah. a podcast. I'm Liam Senior. I'm going to tell you a story about plagiarism from movies and TV. And I'm Tom Lockney, and I'm going to tell you a story about plagiarism from the world of video games. What what, what could I possibly be talking about? This 1986. <laughs> Shia LaBeouf is born in Los Angeles, California. He's the only child of Shayna and Jeffrey Craig LaBeouf. His mother was a dancer and ballerina turned visual artist and clothed three jewelry designer. His father was a Vietnam veteran who had worked numerous jobs, and his parents eventually divorced, mainly to financial problems. Also, his dad was uh, not the nicest man, was pretty rough, mm -hmm. uh, pointed a gun at Shy at one point during Ooh. a bad flashback, um, but never, uh, as far as I can, could see, never physically harmed anybody, but uh, got himself out of there because things were just looking bad. Uh, and LaBeouf actually had what he described as a pretty good childhood, growing up poor in Echo Park with his mother, who would sell fabrics and brooches. Um, his family uh, like refused to go on welfare or, or food stamps because they were uh, too proud, so Shia LaBeouf was like, I, I guess I'll just go into comedy and acting to make money. Because he, when he was 10, he met a child actor who was like, dude, I'm making tons of money doing mm -hmm. this. Uh, so he started going to comedy clubs and performing stand-up at 10 by being an insult comedian and just making fun of all the old people who would be there by themselves and being like, why are you drunk and 50 and alone at a comedy club on a Wednesday, you stupid motherfucker? Oh my God. And people loved really? it. Because as a 10-year-old, just like being a little shit, like at a comedy club when you're trash. Humiliate me, humiliate me, Shia. Uh, he went to the 32nd Street Visual Performing Arts Magnet School in Los Angeles and Alexander Hamilton High School. I'm such a dirty piece of shit, make fun fun of me kind of though like it seems like it was an audience full of subs <laughs> like fun's full of chuckle subs <laughs> uh he so he wanted an agent because he was like all right i'm i'm like getting right i'm like getting recognition at as as a comedian but mm -hmm. like i need to get cast and shit so he just put on a british accent called up an agency at the yellow pages and pretended to be his british manager got himself an agent and within wow. weeks he had parts on er the x-files and suddenly susan shia the scammer 
He didn't even want to be a star. He told the Denver Post, when I first got in, it was primarily a fan- financial decision. Mm-hmm. We were really broke. Uh, he then got cast on Even Stevens, a role that, actually, I didn't know this, it won him a Daytime Emmy Award. I buy that. People, totally, he's amazing on it. loved Even Stevens. He, listen, he was, he was able to con his way into a into role a by acting. Show, like, yeah. it's not an accident. Uh, he describes Even Stevens as uh, his like school, basically. He grew up on that show, and mm-hmm. it was the best thing that has ever happened to him. Uh, after that was d- uh, done, uh, he starred in a couple movies like Holes, and then he starred in Disturbia, which kind of launched him into... Oh, man, I remember being a kid and sneaking into Disturbia. It's a good movie. It's yeah. a pretty good movie. He's very good in it. And then he was in the Transformer movies and became a certified Hollywood regular until the 2010s, and they kind of stopped doing acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would do a, a, a more artsy indie film every once in a while, and he got really into performance art. Uh, he began collaborating with British artist and the author of The Metamodernist Manifesto, Luke Turner, and finished artist Nashta Said Ronko, embarking on a series of actions described as multi-platform meditations on celebrity and vulnerability. Um, they have done projects that have, have the names such as hashtag I am sorry, hashtag all my movies, hashtag touch my soul, hashtag take me every, anywhere, and he will not divide us, which is currently ongoing and is about oh, Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. That I, I think his real performance art, though, is his constant and weird plagiarizing, which is the main thing we'll be looking at. Is it? Wait, so it is like it is done intentionally as a far. It is intentional what? plagiarizing because he's so open about it. But I don't know if it's intentional plagiarizing. It's just very it easy. It might just be like I'm plagiarizing, and it's as performance art is, so he can like get away with like plagiarizing. I don't know. Let well, let's yeah, look yeah, through explain it, it a yeah. little more at first. At first blush i'm not looking at that too kindly but i don't know everything yet it's it's this thing this is this will be two years of constant plagiarizing Mm -hmm. in february 2013 labeouf abruptly quit what would have been his first broadway show orphans due to creative differences Uh, apparently he couldn't get along with alec baldwin shocked yeah shocked that someone could not get along somebody who fucking called his daughter a pig might be a He's fucking dragging his daughter again because of her Instagram. Ah, like Christ. literally Who today. Who cares? Dude, it's leave, like, leave your fucking, fucking daughter alone. alone. You, you're Jesus weird. Christ. You know what, dude? You're obsessed oh, with but, your own daughter, like your fucking Liam, president is, my guy. But Liam, you got. But he does such a good Trump impression. He Hashtag really doesn't. The resistance. Fucking doesn't. He tweeted out a photo of the email he sent to the cast and Baldwin, but unfortunately, parts of the prose, specifically the sample "A man owns up, a man grabs his mistakes." were ripped off verbatim from a 2009 Esquire article titled What is a Man? and the author of the article even noticed. LaBeouf then uh, apologized again for that over Twitter, but the apology was a paleodrized quote from David Mamet, which was something like, I don't know, it was just like short and sweet and to the point. Yeah, I also don't care. Like, if you want to quit a Broadway show because Alec Baldwin's being a cock and and you plagiarize your apology as like a joke, like, uh, who cares? Like, he's not making money off of that. LaBeouf then released a short film uh, called HowardCantor.com, which premiered at 2012, but it wasn't posted online until the end of 2013. Mm-hmm. And viewers noticed that the film was exactly like an adaptation of the graphic novel by of a graphic novel by Daniel Klaus, who is known for Ghost World. 
uh, or Clois, I think. Clois told BuzzFeed, which brought the story to light. Uh, the first I ever heard of the film was this morning when someone sent me a link I've never spoken to or met Mr. LaBeouf. I've never even seen one of his films. And I was shocked to say the least when I saw that he took the script and even many visuals from a very personal story I did six or seven years ago and pass it off as his own work. Okay, so he is so he is making money off of of taking other people's content. Uh, I don't know if they released this for money or if they just released this for free. Oh, uh-huh. Uh, Isn't it, don't you get paid money to make the movie? Don't you secure funding so that way the movie can be made? Yeah, but you're not technically making the money on it. You're, you're, you, I, and also I'm pretty sure he had the money to finance this himself. So I think he was just losing money off of it. Hmm. Okay. If you're profiting off of somebody else's content, it doesn't matter if it's like a ironic, haha, funny joke, then you're still like the material result is like exactly the same and you are still committing plagiarism. He then apologized, he then apologized for plagiarizing the movie. And was this also plagiarized? It was a plagiarized apology from a Yahoo's answer post from four years before. (laughs) What from fucking Yahoo answers? Copying isn't particularly creative work. Being inspired by someone else's to produce something new and different is creative work. Uh, earlier, LaBeouf had announced his intention to become a comic book writer, and he put out a comic book, uh, but news broke that many of the lines from his self-published books, Let's Fucking Party and Stale and Mate, were lifted from Charles Bukowski. And uh, and he is charging money for these, yeah. I would imagine so. Okay, so yeah, so this is not, yeah, so we are now officially out of the gray zone. Uh, LaBeouf then apologized on Twitter again, plagiarizing Tiger Woods. Okay, so it has officially stopped being funny. Then Robert McNamara, then Kanye West. Oh my god. Then poster artist Shepard Fairey. Uh, Shai also ripped off the copy for his website. It is identical to the online copy used by comic journalist Daniel Nadel. And then all of this led up to a moment uh, in 2014 where he showed up to a red carpet with a bag over his head that said, I am not famous anymore, which was ripped off from a Sia photo shoot where she had a bag over her head that said, this artist responsible for, and then all of Sia's accomplishments, doesn't want to be famous anymore. Hmm. What does this all mean? I don't fucking know, but I don't think Shia LaBeouf knows what performance art is. Yeah. Um, but that all happened, and I feel like we all remember bits and That's pieces of that happening. I didn't realize that the because I had known about like certain plagiarism accusations, but I had not known that like even the "I'm not famous anymore." Was a pla- was plagiarized. Yeah, that's so funny because like I, when I was a kid, like I was like required to watch thirty minutes of news every night, and, and we would watch ABC News, and they were just like Shia LaBeouf's crazy stunt. And now that I know. That they just, like, didn't do their jobs and couldn't be bothered to Google this thing and see if there were, like, other things that he might have plagiarized. Anyways, we're going to take a quick break, hear about something else on the other network, and when we get back, we're going to hear Tom's story about plagiarism, but I, I don't know what it could be. <laughs> Who cares? Who knows? People ask me, why should I listen to your podcast? Because there's, like... <laughs> 10 million X-Files podcasts in there. I say one, we give great commentary because all those other X-Files podcasts, they're just like fucking <laughs> masturbating over Chris Carter's creation. Yeah. Number two, we will make you come. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you like it or not. Yeah, it's going to happen. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll hit a button sooner or later. Yeah, we're, you know what? We're going to cover so many fucking hot topics <laughs> and one of them someday going to be yours and you might not even know it (laughs) you'll be sitting there listening you'll be like oh damn (laughs) i completed and i didn't even know that was my thing five stars (laughs) review please catch the double x files tuesdays at noon on your favorite podcast app baby we'll treat you so right 
Games journalists have long found themselves under attack from the public, specifically it would seem over the content of reviews. You scored it too high, you scored it too low, or you scored it the way you did because you were paid to do so. At first glance, these criticisms seem to just come from the misinformed, those who do not understand that reviews are part of a broader conversation and not writ law. Though there is a uh, discussion to be had about the way reviews treat games like products and art, and how that has flattened much of reviews of what reviews can effectively say. These people, again, at first glance, also seem to misunderstand that it is incredibly difficult to make a living in games journalism. Digital media is a nightmare, and freelancing for it is worse. People are not, like, rolling in money, and if they were, you'd probably notice. Uh, but these are actually overwhelmingly critiques made uh, with a bad faith agenda. You scored it too high is often code for it. This game has progressive politics, and I think that that's bullshit. Wolfenstein. By the inverse, you scored it too low is gamer think for it. This work reaffirms my worldview, and you failed to do the same. Far Cry. Yep. And as for evidence of collusion between reviewers and publishers, it doesn't exist. I literally can't think of a single time where a member of the game's press has been caught taking money for a review. And yet, in, uh, uh, misinformed instances of that have led to, like, disasters that we're still dealing with today. And, like, like there's, like, actually, like, plenty of evidence to the contrary. Like, uh, when Jeff Gersman got fired from GameSpot. Like, it, and it, was, it was not, like, an insidious, like, there is collusion between pub publishers and um, publications. It was, like, GameSpot was under new management, and they just, like, didn't understand that you can score a game blow. It's okay. I remember reading Nintendo Power as a kid and being like, games have never gotten under a 7. Yeah. And there's also other, like, reasons for that. Like, a lot of bonuses are tied to whether or not a game performs, like, above, like, 80% on Metacritic. And, like, I have... When I was in college, I reviewed music for the radio station. And, like, I would sometimes get student submissions for review. And I, if I didn't like it, I would be like, somebody else take this. Cause like, I don't like it and I don't want to be dishonest, but also I don't want to like rip this person apart. Like, cause you know, yeah. we use this platform responsibly. You don't want to be a critic to be a bully. Cause then why are you like, yeah. Cause like, what am, what gross. am I really doing? Like telling everybody on the campus that game, I didn't yeah. like this guy's fuck like this music. folk music. Like what's the fucking Who point are we of helping that? at that point? Yeah. But yeah, the, the, Money for review thing is another false justification provided for being upset at games critics for not affirming the reader's worldview. We know this because game reviewers overwhelmingly don't engage with one another from a score standpoint as well. They do so from a contextual one. Why didn't you like this one part? Why did you like this other part? It's not like, man, you gave this game a 7.5 out of 10. Where, where'd that, where'd that like 0.5% get taken away from? That's not how people do that. I also think there's a real problem with people thinking that a review is also someone being like, hey, I want to talk about this and not like, this is I my was, job. This is my job. I was paid to do this because I'm good at this and like enjoy doing this and can write about it uh, accessibly. Yeah. For a long time, these accusations didn't have a name. They were just a collection of people screaming the same idiotic stuff, despite the total lack of evidence to support the idea that corruption is rampant in games journalism. People have been trying for years to finger games journalists for supposed <laughs> corruption. Oh, and also they're so, they're all so hot. <laughs> Uh, and then Gamergate came around. Gamergate, though not a movement motivated by an honest desire to expose corruption in games journalism, did have subsets that, in addition to being dangerous white supremacists, were also looking for evidence of collusion, review fixing, etc. Uh, both, both like, 
in as an attempt to find like bad faith evidence and also to bolster their false claims that their movement was actually about quote unquote ethics and games journalism. Yep. The most they uncovered was that some games journalists email each other and are friends, which is not evidence of collusion. <gasps> It was literally like these people like uh, like all have each other's emails so they can contact each other. Which like yeah, when you are reviewing a game and like if you're stuck on a part, there's no ga- like pre-release game guide or review or anything yeah. like that. Like you can talk to other people and sometimes also they like say hi on Twitter and like each other's tweets. And also you're you're not gonna believe this, but um, a game a video game reviewer and a video game maker both have a shared interest and that's video games yeah so uh they might also become what's that word (laughs) friends Friends. yes thank you claims of corruption still exist today the kotaku in action subreddit still exists it's like the primary gamergate subreddit yep uh and still touts the lie that bad faith white nationalist attacks on games journalists are actual genuine attempts to watchdog games journalism Enter YouTuber Boomstick Gaming. On August 6th of this year, Boomstick Gaming released a video entitled, quote, IGN copied my Dead Cells review. What do I do? He spoke true. Now former IGN Nintendo editor Philip Muchin plagiarized Boomstick Gaming's review and posted it as his own for IGN. Muchin's review was quickly taken down, replaced by a note from the company stating that they were investigating the claim. Their investigation wrapped on the 8th, and Muchin was fired by the end of the day. Maybe save your tears for Boomstick Gaming. It's a channel that makes a point to say it focuses on, quote, mechanics and systems only, all caps. And one of the 20 accounts they follow on Twitter is white nationalist Colin Moriarty. Okay. Literally has a don't tread on me, Abby, on Twitter. Oh, boy. So, moving on. This incident was reported on by much of the game's press at large, and it seemed as though other instances of plagiarism were being uncovered. On the 11th, Muchin released a video on his YouTube channel addressing the matter, in which he gives a breathy, voice-cracking account of his presentation of events. Oh, boy. He claimed that the plagiarism was unintentional and that there were, quote, a lot of circumstances. In the video, he apologizes to IGN for the criticisms they faced and the damage done to the team's reputation. He then immediately begins to attack the game's press, namely Kotaku, claiming that they were not credible. He specifically targets Jason Schreier, telling him that there would be no evidence of further plagiarism. Quote, you can keep looking, Kotaku, and please let me know if you find anything. Please. Which, by the way, their news editor, Jason Schreier, tried to imply that in my FIFA 18 review was also inauthentic by claiming that I copied it from Nintendo Life, and that's just not the case. Maybe he was implying that if you have similarly opinionated reviews, then you're just plagiarizing. Oh, my God. Or maybe he's just trying to get as many clicks off my name right now as possible. Or maybe he just likes kicking people when they're down. Oh my goodness. I don't know. Check it out for yourselves and you be the judge. That's a dog whistle. That's a fucking dog whistle. Muchin, prior to being hired by IGN in October of 2017, was a YouTuber. He singled out Kotaku despite the fact that this was being written about and commented on across the internet. People consider Kotaku to be the quote, SJW website. He is dog whistling to the type of people who claim so strongly to care about ethics and games journalism and already have a vested interest in attacking Kotaku. And he even goes as far as to be like, go to go and check out Jason Schreier. He's also positioning himself as a victim of the corrupt games press who's trying to look for things where they don't exist. Which, like, again, is like mirrors that that language of of gamer gators where it's like 
they're looking for racism where it doesn't exist, and then like and it's like you're wearing a swastika yeah, on your shirt. Yeah. Well, no, I hate Jews, not yeah. people. <laughs> Y'all are quoting like 1488. Come on, man. <laughs> um. Listen, I didn't mean those 14 words. I just meant 14 words. It's just like a nice round white number. I mean, number. Fuck. <laughs> and, it, and the thing is, like, it kind of worked. The video has a lot more downvotes than up, although the video actually he's taken it down along with every single video he's made since being hired at IGN. Yeah, that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, conveniently, if you look at his uh, YouTube channel now, the most recent video is uploaded 10 months ago oh. when he got hired. Although the video had far more downvotes and upvotes, the comments were strangely largely forgiving, almost like the people who are the most vocal about corruption in games journalism don't actually give a fuck. Yep. Unfortunately, I can't read those comments to you. You'll just have to take my word for it, because again, like Muchin ended up taking down the video. Uh, and others upon further discoveries of plagiarism. I won't list all the discoveries, but suffice it to say that it was so pervasive that IGN has now taken down everything he's ever laid hand on and is working to replace that content such as reviews with original writing he plagiarized from polygon neogaf forum posts other ign writers and even just read a wikipedia post as though it was something he'd written and again like like just to get out ahead of this like i know that you and i on this show have sometimes just like read from a wikipedia article every now and again but like we are not making money off of this. Nope. The second that we start, like, it, we're talking about monetizing maybe sometime, but, like, the second that happens, we will not be just, like... Reading. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There will be work cited. Yeah, it? you know, we, like, we have full-time jobs. We don't always have time. And if we were getting money, then then we will make time. Uh, it also came to light that even his LinkedIn resume is copied from a job <laughs> template site. <laughs> What is it with, it's this, almost like the it's same thing so with Shia. Ridiculous. It's like you do it once and you have to keep plagiarizing. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> you know, like, there's a discussion to be had about, like, plagiarism and the type of, like, moral failings that, like, cause you to plagiarize and why uh, people who do it once are more likely to do it again and again. However... Uh, part of that discussion involved Jason Schreier comparing plagiarism to mental illness or addiction, which Whoa. fucking sucks. That's just inaccurate. Uh, as always in these stories, there are no heroes. Only gods and monsters. <laughs> Additionally, a post circulated by an industry figure, who I don't need to name because people have already directly addressed them enough, uh, have talked about hiring people based on their passion. And being disappointed that this seemed to undermine the idea that Muchin was passionate about games. And this prompted countertakes noting that passion does not make you an ethical writer or journalist. And that this is something that does not uh, need to be a part of the hiring process. Passion for games is not what makes you good at your job. It makes you a passionate hobbyist. Those are two separate things. Hideo Kojima hates games. <laughs> he thinks they are worthless. He just knows how to make them I mean, well. he very clearly, like, enjoys <laughs> movies just as much, if not more. Uh, however, the thing that I think has largely gone unremarked upon is that the still prominent, still vocal ethics in games journalism crowd is nowhere to be seen. If you go into Kotaku in action, over, uh, of over uh, seven to eight dozen posts uh, over the last, like, I, I checked it on, I want to say, Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, and so there was like seven or eight dozen posts and of those only about nine mentioned Muchin some of them are even just like Ian Miles Chong is tweeting about Muchin and like and 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 none of them are like there is a large conspiracy of games journalists or like there is a failing like none of them are really talking about like 
and not to and when i when i say this i i want to make clear like ign is already like taken the steps to be like hey like clearly this was an oversight on our part we need to have a stronger vetting process and so you know like we're gonna take this and learn from it um so there is like a, some sort of issue uh to be addressed but like it's already being addressed and those and the people on the gamergate subreddit are not like mm, maybe this like hiring process based in passion and not actual like journalistic ethics uh it's i mean like literally like the fact that uh, passion uh supersedes things like hey do you not like steal content should be you know and, uh, this is just proof positive that these people don't actually like give a shit about the things that they say they give a shit about and that they are actually just a bunch of white nationalists yep I thought this incident, yeah, was more proof positive that more vocal gamers clearly don't care about unethical behavior if it is committed by somebody who doesn't serve, or if, yeah, they don't actually care about unethical behavior if it is committed by someone who doesn't serve their white nationalist agenda. Uh, this is not the only evidence, just the most recent. Thought it went largely unremarked upon, so I thought I would. It is also extremely funny that he tried to stoke the post-Gamergate flames to appeal to that crowd, and they literally didn't give a shit about outside of a few YouTube comments and a Reddit post or two. And that's the story, everybody. Ah. <sighs> Isn't that right, Rhoda? Rhoda's been listening the whole time. Oh, you've been so good, Rhoda. You got you got out of your harness. You're fully naked. She's just fully naked listening to the podcast. Oh, look at this naked dog. Look at this little naked pup. Oh. Well, sometimes we talk about bummer stuff, but sometimes we're just like investigators <laughs> pulling out plagiarism where we yeah. can find it. Uh, but regardless, we're going to hang out, head on down to the South Care, South, the South Care Corner. We're going down to the South South Care Corner. <laughs> we're going to get a po' boy and, yeah, a, and, a, and a and a Lean in a muffaletta and a beignet. Um, let's see. What have I got to be thankful for this Thanksgiving? Uh, you know what? Here's what I want to say. I so I went to a really great comedy show on Friday and saw a bunch of comedians that I've been fans of working out new material. I found a place where Ooh, comedians cool. go to work out new material very cool space i was in some audience participation that didn't cause me extreme anxiety that's good yeah it was fun and uh oh my nail color is really on point lately and i've just been very happy with it so that's where i'm at um i am like within a hair's breadth of 100 of like being completely done with hollow knight i've done I, i've done all the quests i might start a new game uh, you should send out a bunch of paranoid explorers into a dungeon and watch them kill each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best, darkest dungeon for the win. Uh, plugs, you know what to do. Yeah, follow us on Twitter at MediaMagesCast. You can email us at MediaMagesPodcast at gmail.com. I still want to know what you think Sonic's feet look like, guys. Watch the other show. Watch. Yeah, Listen watch to them. the other shows on the network. They're all great. They're fantastic. And I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Catch us next week. And as always, we'll be there for you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major. <laughs>